This morning, if you have your outline, you see the title of the sermon message is called Life. And as we open up this, this morning, I want to make something. Um, and if you want to turn to Genesis 1.27, you're welcome to do that. That's the first text we're going to look at. And I want to make something abundantly clear to you. As a pastor of this church, as a pastor, and as a pastor of this church, the only thing that I care about deeply, most of all, first is my priority, is the Word of God. That's the priority. That's the focus. That's where my attention goes to. What does the Word of God say? And so I surrender my whole life to learn and follow God's Word. And His Word guides my life, my thinking, my decisions, my my preaching, my teaching, and everything that I do. And I know, speaking to the audience of you, I, because I know many of you, I know that that's the life you choose to live as well. That you want a life that's fully devoted to God's word and what he says. Now, I also know that maybe for some of you who are newer in the faith or just younger in general, that there is a whole lot of pressure from the world around you to distract you from the word of God and to push you towards the answers of men, what men think, what people think, what the world popular thinks, what the United States in general, their policies on a certain issue, and for you to adopt that as your view. There's a lot of pressure. Whether you're young or you're old, it doesn't matter. The pressure doesn't leave, but sometimes the older you get, the better you respond to that pressure. But still, the pressure is there. There is pressure to see maybe authority from anything else besides the Word of God. There's pressure to get your answers from somewhere else besides the Word of God on major topics. There's pressure. But as a pastor, the only thing I care about is God's view. That's all I care about. And for you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as we look at his word, we come to this realization. It's not just pastors or Bible teachers. It, it's for everyday Christians. All of us are called to live under the authority of God's word. As a matter of fact, whether you're a Christian or not, you're accountable to God's word because his word is the only truth. And so, when topics or news or politics or ideas or certain leaders come up in the world, things, conversations, arguments, when any of those things start to happen, I use one thing to evaluate how I'll think. And that one thing is God's word. And last Sunday when I was at camp with the teenagers, I wasn't able to be here but this church has a rich and storied tradition of backing God's word. And that's been true of this church for its whole existence, no matter who was the pastor, who were the congregants, or who were in attendance on a Sunday. God's word is the truth, and this church has stood beside God's word as the authority. And so, one of those areas that this church has stayed true to God's word and what it teaches is in regard to the sanctity of human life. Last Sunday, as Gary mentioned, was Sanctity of Life Sunday, a Sunday set aside each year for churches like ours, for people who are good and wholesome people to remember, to look at the intrinsic 
and innate value that human life has. And so my sermon this morning is not meant, it's not meant to harm, it's not meant to hurt, it's not meant to offend, it's not meant to attack or condemn anyone, it's not meant to oppose anyone. It's not meant to, you know what, I understand in a, in a world that we live in, we have relatives and friends and family members. You yourself might have gone through something hard in relation to the sanctity of human life. And this sermon's not about that. What this sermon is about is one focus. What does God say about human life? That's my focus. And so as I teach and I preach and as, as you listen, if there's a moment where you become kind of stirred or, or, or even a moment where you go, oh, it makes me doubt something, don't doubt it. This is God's word to you. This is God's word to us. This is what God says about human life and how we ought to view it. It's dangerous then. To be offended by God and his word because his word is truth. And so this morning, that's what I want to preach. His word and his word alone. And so we're going to start at the very first thing that I think is one of the most important to talk about on the Sanctity of Life, to Sanctity of Life Sunday. And that is life is sacred. Life is sacred. If you want to know about life and how God made us and why God made us and who we are before him, you have to realize that life is sacred. And the first area we turn to, as I said to you, is Genesis 1.27 that helps us to see. Genesis 1.27, and you can uh, turn in advance if you want to to those other couple of scriptures. That's where we're going to go on the next two. But Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Since the beginning of life, since the beginning of human existence, since the beginning of when... God made human beings. He made them after his own image. When I say that life is sacred, life is sacred because Genesis 1.27 tells us life is made after God himself. It's a reflection of who God is. It's a reflection life that God exists and he created you and me. One of the most convicting thoughts I've ever heard is when, when I've heard the thought that, of this, is that every person you see, whether you like them or not, is an image bearer of God. Whether they're a good person or not, they're an image bearer of God. Most prison ministries have started as a result of that idea. Whether I like them or not, whether I agree with what they've done or not, whether I... I can understand what their life has been like or not. They were made in the image of God. Somewhere inside of them exists that spiritual element. Because they were made in the image of God. Every life is sacred then. Every person you see has been given the gift of life 
from God. He made us. He made us. If you wanted to, by Gen- if you're taking extra notes in your outline, you could. You could write by Genesis 1.27. He made us. God made you. And he made me. And it was intentional. And it was careful. And it was thought out. And it was planned. And it was coordinated. And he constructed our bodies so perfectly to just exist exactly how they are. God made us. In his own image. And because of that, we're, we are sacred. Just like in a, in a way that God is sacred as well. Turn to Psalm 100, verse 3. We can go slow if you want. It's kind of like Sword Drill Sunday here at Calvary. And if you turn to Psalm 100, verse 3, as you turn there, the next thing we're going to see from this is that we belong to him. He created us, but not only did he create us in Genesis 1, Psalm 100, verse 3 shows us we belong to him. We belong to him. If you're there with me or if you needed more time, I'm sorry, but here we go. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It's one of the most comforting scriptures I think you can turn to to remind you that I belong to the Lord. He created me. He sustains my life. He allows me to live. I'm here because of him. And not only he made me, but we are his. Obviously, this is a psalm, so it's the psalmist. He's writing to believers. I'm preaching this morning. I hope many of you are believers in Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are his. You belong to him. It's him who made us, and we are his. When it talks about, that's the, that's the piece. This verse isn't for everyone, because not everyone is the sheep of his pasture. Some people have decided to turn their back on God. Some people have never known God. Some people have need witness to, but some, not all the sheep, not everybody in the world but it, is his sheep in that sense. Not everyone has turned their life to Jesus Christ, but we have. We're the sheep of his pasture. We follow our good shepherd. We follow him. While others around us attack the good shepherd, while others around us attack the Christian faith, while others around us attack who God is, we belong to him. We live in his pastures. We are his sheep that he knows by name because we belong to him. He made us. We belong to him. Leviticus 11, verse 44, if you will turn there with me, is the next point I want to bring up. Leviticus 11, verse 44, takes it one step farther. He made us. We belong to him. We ought to consider life as sacred. We ought to consider life 
as sacred. Leviticus 11 verse 44 says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. This is God's intention for human life. If you follow God's plan for human life, he calls you to live a holy life. Holy, set apart from sin, set apart from evil, set apart from bad and darkness, led instead to Christ. Holy, blameless, upright, righteous, good. Those are all the workings of that term holy that our holy God is. He is holy and he says to us as believers in Jesus, whether people realize it or not, their mission, their aim should be to be holy like God is holy because God made us. Life belongs to him. And because he made you and because life belongs to him, your goal ought to be, be holy like he is holy. That's a Christian statement. Now to the world around us who aren't believers, they still technically are called to this, whether they realize it or not. So when you take these passages and you think about the sacredness of life, you don't study the scripture without seeing that God is intentional about human life. He is intentional about wanting us to belong to him. And he is intentional then about you living the life, your life, holy like he is. To me... That alone, step back and you apply that to the sanctity of human life and abortion. Abortion does not fit into that segment with, with the Lord. It doesn't. Life is valuable. I create it. It's made for me. You belong to me. You're supposed to be holy like I am holy. God's in control of life. He's the one who decides. I had a great conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm thankful that Doug is here. I had some great conversations with Doug. And one thing that I know for a fact is whether he lived or he died, he was trusting that the Lord was in control of his life. That's true. That the Lord was in control. And if it was his choice, he's in control. That's the same we need to apply it. Not just later in life, but from the very start of human life. God is in control Life belongs to him. That's, that's what the scripture is teaching. It's clear that to him life is sacred. He made us. We belong to him. Life is sacred. So, so we should consider human life to be so valuable then. Because the aim of all human life is to be holy like our God is holy. The next segment that I want to point out to you that the Bible's clear and it clearly teaches and there are a lot of scriptures for this to back this up. Not just one, not just some. There are a lot. And if you want to turn ahead of time we're going to go to Jeremiah 1.5 next. That's where we're headed next is Jeremiah 1 verse 5. And so you can turn there with me. 
And as we turn there, and as you look there, I'm only going to look at a few of the scriptures that I think point this out. That life begins at conception. I can't list them all. I'm not going to cover them all. But I wanted to show you, these are, the, these are the passages that I believe support this idea very clearly and very powerfully. And this isn't even, I'm not going to say this isn't all of them. There are other passages that have to do with human life, that have to do with murder, that have to do with life and death. There are other passages I could have included, but these passages very specifically have something to do with the womb, with motherhood, with children, with the life of children. They all apply I looked at all of these verses studying this week, and I can't use them all this morning, but all of them, and I'm going to read them to give you the idea. Jeremiah 1.5, Psalms 139.13-16, Psalm 127.3, Exodus 20.13, Matthew 5.21-22, 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 17, Job 31.15, Luke 1, verse 41, Isaiah 49, 1 and 5, Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5, um, Psalm 51, verse 5, Exodus 21, 22 through 25, Luke 1, 44, Deuteronomy 5, 17, Jeremiah 22, verse 3, Isaiah 44, verse 24, Exodus 23, verse 7, Psalm 113, verse 9, Leviticus 18, verse 21, Isaiah 44, 2, Exodus 21, 14, Proverbs 23, 22, Psalm 119.73, Amos 1.13, Proverbs 6.16-17, 6, Psalm 22.9-10, and Judges 13.3-4. Those are just some of the texts that if someone wanted to come here and sit down with me and say to me, Pastor, I don't believe the Bible teaches life at conception is valuable and sacred. I would sit with them and I would say, okay, start here. Come back in a month after you've studied all of these scriptures. And then if you still believe that way, we'll look at these scriptures together. And I can help explain to you why maybe you didn't, you were studying the wrong translation. You were already studying the wrong study Bible. You were listening to the wrong voices that were teaching you. You got the wrong research materials. I'm not sure what the mistake would have been. But these scriptures are clear. That in God's eyes and in God's opinion, life begins at the point of conception. And so let's just take a look. Let's just take a look then at Jeremiah verse, chapter 1, verse 5, our starting verse, of which many of you are comfortable with and many of you love like I love. It says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. I like to tell you very honestly that one of the biggest, biggest arguments against this passage is people will say, well, he was just talking specifically about Jeremiah. That Jeremiah he knew before the womb. Jeremiah he knew and set him apart before time. Jeremiah, and that's not true. It didn't matter if it was Jeremiah or Solomon or Saul or Paul. Or it doesn't matter if it's Roy or Alex or Jessica or Ashley or Donna. or It doesn't matter who. Any name could be inserted here. Any person, God, this scripture could be true of. It's true. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew 
you. God is so big. God is so powerful. God is so mighty. There is nothing that escapes his knowledge. And the fact that he talks about the womb to Jeremiah here points very clearly for us then. Okay, now, if we start to have an issue where we have to decide about life and death and when does life start, let's take a look at the scripture. Oh, before he was in the womb, God knew him. Before he was born, God knew the plans he had for him. Before he was born, God knew he was going to appoint him as a prophet to be used mightily by God. Every human life, I said it, we can put any human life here. God knows from the very start, from the very moment of conception, when a baby is to be born. Turn to Psalm 139 with me. Another very encouraging passage, many of you know. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Jeremiah, before I knew you in the womb, before you were in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Teach us this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you and I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. God is an orchestrator. God is powerful. God has this ability that the psalmist recognizes that he made me. He made me. He created my inmost being. He was there at my mother's womb. He was part of the process because life belongs to him. Life is sacred. Nothing was hidden from God when you were born. Nothing was hidden from God when you were in the womb. Nothing was hidden to him. There's nothing he didn't know. There's no secrets to him. God not only formed us, he knew us. He knew us before conception. He knew us during conception. And he knows us now, you and I. And God also, right here in this passage, it also reminds us, God has our days ordained. The scripture elsewhere says, teach me to number my days so I might gain a heart of wisdom. 
God knows. He knows our, the plans. Now this, I'm going to take you to Exodus 21 now. And really, I'm, I know I'm playing a lot of the tag, but you'll have time to turn here. This scripture, I've, te- I've taught this in youth group before. Because this scripture to me, as a matter of fact, if I were to pick one scripture to show you today, if I could have, would have just done the sermon based off of one text, this text to me is one of the most powerful examples of what God thinks about how valuable the life of a baby inside the womb is. How valuable is that life? How much value should we place at conception? How much? And if I had to ask you how much value you place on your kids' lives, I'm sure you would say priceless. Or some of you would say millions and billions of dollars. There's no way you could even count. Some of you on a really bad day where they've just done something wrong, it's free. Take them. I think Mike said that to me before. <laughs> of course, that's a joke. But, but uh, how much? How much would you say? I always think it's interesting when they get into legalese when someone's life perishes from a, a wrongful death and they try to decide how much was that life worth? You know, how much did we, were we at fault? And what percentage then... Because sometimes it's to percentages. Well, how much is the life worth, but you only have to pay out 60% of that death because the car manufacturer is only 60% at fault, but 40% was the seatbelt manufacturer. So if you want more money, you have to go after them. Things like that. Those are real court cases that happen on a daily basis here in America. That's amazing to me that they're trying to figure out what the value of human life is because whether it's that debate or whether it's this debate, There is no debate before God. Life is priceless because life is sacred. The first point of that one this morning. Life's sacred. There is no price. There is no price to the value of a human life. And this text uh, proves that more than any other text I think in Scripture really does. Exodus 21, verses 22 through 25. Read them with me. They say this. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the husband, what what woman's husband demands and the court allows. Just think about that. Now this would be the scenario that, that something happens, whether accidental or intentional, and a wife gets hurt, or, or it causes a baby to come premature, I can't imagine. I mean, it's a miracle sometimes now where premature uh, babies, they are doing wonders to help babies make it earlier and earlier premature. I can't remember exactly how old our nephew was born premature. 34, 33, 32. She's going down. Go down more. (laughs) 32 weeks he was born, and he is healthy, and he is perfect today as a four-year-old boy. 32 weeks he was born premature. She was at the hospital. Many of you remember that. She was at the hospital for her husband's surgery. And her water broke in the waiting room while he was out for major surgery. I mean, it just was not, uh, it was interesting timings. It was the Lord's timing. So my brother-in-law met his baby, you know, was brought to his baby kind of still coming off the side effects of drugs from his own surgery. Uh, What an interesting way to have your first son. 
But in this scenario, if people are fighting and they hit a pregnant woman, she gives birth prematurely, there was, a, there was a punishment even for that. Okay, even if they both lived, even if both of them were okay, there was still a punishment for that. Whatever the husband demanded and the court would allow. It had to be just and there was a fair system. It was all of this, the rest of what we're going to read too, there was a law and order system set for this. It wasn't like people just, the husband just went out and decided. There was a system, but the system said there is a punishment. There is a punishment if you cause a premature birth if they both live. Now look, it takes it one step further in verse 23. But if there is serious injury, time out, that didn't specify on purpose. If there is serious injury to mother or to baby, if it meant just to mother, it would have said, if there's serious injury to the mother. It doesn't say that. It is very specific. The language in Hebrew is very specific. If there is a serious injury period to either this unborn baby or the mother, now look what happens. If there's serious injury, you are to take life for life. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Hand for hand. Foot for foot. Burn for burn. Wound for wound. Bruise for bruise. When they're setting up, when the Lord is giving them a system to live by, he placed a value price on an unborn baby. His value price was life for life. If you were to hit a mother and the baby were to die, life for life, punishment. Now, it was a legal system. There was a legal process. It's possible. I'm not, I want to just be truthful with you. It's possible that person would not have literally been executed, although that strong of a punishment could have been given. If it was felt that it was very intentional and very on purpose and that baby would have died, life for life. That would have been a fair punishment in God's eyes because you took life God is emphasizing this whole chapter. There's about murder and, and about right relationships and how, how he wants them to proceed. Guess what? Life is sacred and God lays down that foundation. Murder is ending life. Life is sacred. Don't murder. And in this scenario, with the mother or with the baby, if either one were to perish, God considered it murder. Murder, worthy of punishment, upwards of life for life, tooth for tooth. That's what the scripture says. This is one of the strongest texts you could possibly look at to tell you this is the value God places on the life inside of the womb. He knows you before you're formed. He knows your name. He knows who you are. Your life is sacred to him and he protects human life. If it were up to God, this would be the standard. If we were running our U.S. government according to the scripture, it would be life for life. If someone takes an unborn life, their life is to be taken. That would be a possible punishment. 
That's how serious the scripture takes it. This isn't a debate. I'm not cheating the scripture here. I'm not telling you something it's not saying. I don't care whether you like it for me or not. Honestly, that's what the scripture says. That's what the Lord wants us to know about human life. That's how valuable it ought to be. He views human life to have started at conception. And he wants us, in my opinion, protect it from conception. That's what I think. There's no other way. There's no other argument you can give me that there's a better way to do it from the scripture. Protect human life at conception. This is the next point then. Life begins at conception. We'll protect it. Life is to be loved, not condemned. Life is to be loved, not condemned. Romans 13, if you have your Bible and you're still turning with me. Life is to be loved, not condemned. This is where I think the scripture gets both deeply practical, but also it gets somewhat demanding on us spiritually. Because the Bible teaches us to love as one of the top possible priorities we can have. Your top possible priority when you're living and interacting with the world around you is to love. Love human life. Love protecting the unborn. Love defending the voiceless. Love things that are good to love. But we also love our neighbor too. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What an interesting scripture. Because in the same text we're talking about loving our neighbor is the same text that talks about murder. You wouldn't murder your neighbor. You know why you wouldn't murder your neighbor, Paul is saying? Because that wouldn't be very loving. It wouldn't be very loving. You wouldn't murder your children because that wouldn't be very loving. And so as we think about if life is to be loved and not condemned, our aim and our goal should be out of a love position to come and help rescue and support and love and help people. I think the biggest thing is Sunday morning like this, most of you probably are enjoying this sermon. Most of you are probably agreeing with what I'm teaching to you. Most of you are probably seeing the scripture and saying, yes, that's true. But here's where the rubber meets the road in a sense is what's the issue then? Why is this such a bad thing? What happens in the world around us? Well, a lot of people don't know God's word. So a lot of people don't know that there's a high demand for the price of life. A lot of people don't have a value system where they view life as so important. 
How do you know? Look around you. Look around you at the terrible places people live in. Look at the terrible situations. I, I harp on this too much from, this, from the pulpit, but the terrible situations, if you go to the public school here in Ever and you talk to them about their where they live, and it's so confusing, and four days I'm here, and then two I'm here, and one I'm here. Well, sometimes I'm here, but other times I'm there. Well, I don't really have a house right now because we're between houses, and so there is a system that's broken because they don't know who God is. It's broken. So it's really easy, I think, at times as a Christian to just get upset at those, upset. Oh, they, if they just did better, if they just knew better, if they just did right. It's too late. They don't know what's right. Obviously, if they did, they would be doing it. So what's our call then? I don't think our call is as much to condemn those people. Yes, we're going to condemn and stand against abortion, but not the people. They don't know better. They don't know who God is. They don't know that life is sacred. They don't understand and realize they're at a, either at a time in their life or a place in their life where all the outside pressure is telling them something else. And I take pity. And I feel bad. And I want to come alongside of them in love. That's the only answer. You're not going to hate them to change their mind. You're not going to yell at them to, con- to decide, well, you know what? The Christians are right. I probably shouldn't, we probably shouldn't go for this anymore. It's going to take love. Hands open, neighborly, come alongside of, grab you by the shoulders. I'm with you. I'll support you. You don't have the help you need. I'll help you get the help you need. You don't have someone in your life who can support you. I'll support you. You don't have someone who's going to walk you through this really hard decision in this process. I'll walk you through that process. You don't have someone who can explain to you the value of human life. I'll help you see God thinks human life is so valuable. All of that. As we look to this scripture, we remind ourselves. We remind ourselves. Life is sacred. Life begins at conception, but the way to help the people I believe the most is to be loving them like this passage teaches. Not to be pointing the finger, not to be accusing them, not to be attacking them, but to come around side in love And help the world around us to understand who God is. Who God is. Because you know what? Ultimately, whether it's a situation with a hard choice about abortion, whether it's a really rough situation where someone has just had a miscarriage and that's not a choice that, that they had, whether it's a situation where someone's struggling with getting pregnant in the first place, whether it's a a situation as I've experienced in my life where people couldn't get pregnant and they were trying to adopt and even that was a struggle to be able to get through the process of adoption. There is all kinds of stories around us. There's all kinds of stories in the pews I know you have of people you've known and loved. We're supposed to love and come and support. And then the second thing we have to help, I think, realize is that life all of those situations, no matter what it is, the help comes from the Lord. The help comes from 
the Lord. I'm just going to read to you those passages. Feel free not to turn there. Acts 17.25 says, And he is not served by human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he gives him... He himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. When you're at a place where you need help, our help comes from God. He gives life. He gives breath. He gives everything else. Turn to him. Job 12 verse 10 says this, In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. He is so big and powerful. There's nothing outside of his scope. There's that kid song that I love. My grandpa used to sing it. I'm not sure where my grandpa's at, if he's in heaven or not, but, but he is past. Only that's between the Lord now, but he used to sing. This was a, a blessing to me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He sang that song all the time. It comes from Job 12 to 10, one of the guys who most of all should feel like the Lord didn't have the whole world in his hands. More than anyone, he should have felt like, no, God's not got this. But he felt like, yeah, that scripture, that teaching, that book, the emphasis, yeah, God's in control whether you realize it or not. And, and God reminds Job of that. Where were you, he asks him. Where were you when I... Beautiful book. And then this scripture, Psalm 121, if you do want to turn there, you're welcome to, to turn there as we see our last scripture this morning as a reminder where does our help come from? Life gets its help from the Lord. Psalm 121 says this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will, will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. And the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a beautiful reminder. It's a beautiful thought to us, an encouragement. Maybe you know someone struggling with a decision about anything. You could pray Psalm 121 for them. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? As we approach this topic in the sanctity of human life, I'd like to say this to you in conclusion and, and remind you of this. The sanctity of human life isn't an ideal. It's not. It's not political. It's not economic. It's not a practical debate. It's not. It shouldn't be. It's not. It's not really a moral dilemma because there's only one answer. It's not a moral dilemma It's none of those things. They make it out to be those things. But it's not. It isn't. 
Life is sacred because it comes from the Lord. And we defend life because of who our God is. As you walk through scripture, as you look to him, you realize we, we defend life. Not because of what I believe. Not because of what I think would be best for people. Not because of what the world is saying around me. But we're going to defend human life because of who God is. He defends human life. He loves human life. And his aim for you, like we talked about in the very beginning, his aim for all human life is to be holy like God is holy. So, so here's my prayer. Here's my thought on Sanctity of Life Sunday, which was last week, but now it's this week too. Here's my thought. Lord, help the world around you. Help the world around me, rather. Help the world around me to see how valuable human life truly is. Help the people who are struggling to realize this morning how valuable human life is. If you can give someone one gift, human life would be the one they might want the most. Human life is valuable. And that internally is true. You know that. You feel that every person deep down inside has been made in the image of God and they know it too. Somewhere inside, every person realizes whether they will admit it out loud or not that human life is very valuable. And as a church family, then we defend life because of who God is.